the game. You don't play to just play. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Can't wait! What's going on, everybody? It's another Tuesday night, which means it's the big three. Once again, the whole crew is not here. It's just myself. But instead of you having to listen to me for a couple of hours, I decided to bring in my guy, Brett Garda 3. So, Brett, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. Not at all. It's, it's NBA tip-off night. What's there, to, what's there to hate? I've been waiting for this for months. I know, I know, and I can't wait to get into all that. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's kind of crazy, the sports night that we're kind of in, in store for. We got Game 7 of the NLCS. We have the Frozen Frenzy going on with ESPN where every hockey team's playing. Uh, I mean, we just finished the WNBA Finals, even though it's not tonight, but that just happened. Got the NBA tip-off, and we even had a crazy weekend in the nfl to talk about uh so that's where we'll start nfl because you know we got definitely have to talk about a couple of the games that went down uh i know you as a packers fan i'll give you i'll give you look i'll give you your spotlight to go off on your team for a little bit i mean for the first week in a while my team actually won crazy things are happening i don't know but uh before we get into that let's see daniel barry what's going on appreciate you tuning in Mo, what's up? But um, but yeah, so this past week, already week seven, crazy as that is, we saw the marquee game of the week with the Dolphins and uh, Eagles, which was supposed to be the marquee game. It turned out to be a bit of a blowout by the end, but I mean, should Dolphins fans be worried about it? Should Eagles fans feel like Maybe the teams finally turn it around, or do they still have questions? Like, what were your thoughts on the game over the weekend? I don't think there's really anything to worry about with the Dolphins quite yet. Okay. I just think we're looking at a situation where the Eagles are just—they were perfectly matched to beat them. How do you get? How do you beat Tua? Get him off his spot. Mm-hmm. Easiest way to do that: pressure up the middle. Eagles are probably the best team in the NFL equipped to get pressure up the middle to disrupt two and the, the entire offense. So I, I don't think there's panic, you know, need to be set in Miami. Maybe if they match up against, you know, the Eagles again in the playoffs or whatever in the Super Bowl, you know, they, they'll need to make some adjustments, but I still think they'll be fine going forward. And the Eagles got that statement win. Everybody's ridiculing them after they lost to the Jets, which I, I didn't. Listen, bad weeks happen. We've all been there. We've all had our good teams that just dropped a dud. So I don't think there's anything worried about on either side. I think it was it was a fun game to watch. Eagles were just the better team that night. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I agree with the fact that it, it probably does a lot more for the Eagles and their fan base to see their team perform against a quality opponent, get a satisfying win, a statement win. And, yeah, for the Dolphins, look, it's it happens. You're not going to go 17-0. You know, they're 5-2. and two. They're still atop the AFC East. So they, they can't really be mad about the position they're in right now. Um, 
And then for the Eagles, like we said, they are now six and one. They have a little bit of a cushion in the NFC East with the Cowboys being four and two. And look, for all the talk about the play from the Eagles, they're still one of the top teams in the NFC. It's at this point it's just about getting wins, get to the playoffs, play better later in the season. Uh, I think another game we probably need to talk about. Let's see, Chiefs and the Chargers. That was a actually similar scoreline, thirty-one seventeen. The Chiefs won that one. Now, once again, I, I think a lot of the talk is going to be about Herbert and the Chargers because once again, in a big spot, they didn't show well. So once again, Staley's team coming up short. And on the other side for the Chiefs, their offense has been struggling the past couple of weeks. They put up 31 points. That that looks kind of like the Chiefs teams that we're used to seeing. So looking at the Chargers, should they kind of like punt on the season at this point? Like it looks like it's not going to be the hyped up season that they thought with all that talent there. And is this the is this kind of the beginning of the end for Staley. It should have been the beginning of the end for Staley last year when he blew that game against Jacksonville in the playoffs. I agree. Should they have punt on this season? They already did when they kept Staley aboard. Let's be real. That team's not <laughs> going anywhere. He's a terrible coach. Yeah. Like Justin Herbert is a phenomenal quarterback. He's an elite quarterback. I believe in Justin Herbert, but when you put just such an incompetent coaching staff and everything around him, you're setting him up to fail. Does he have pitfalls? I'm not saying he's perfect. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he has his fair share of mistakes. But at the end of the day, too, I think that you're just doing him a major disservice by keeping Staley in town. He's already proved he's not an NFL-quality head coach. So I I think that they're not going to punt on the season, but they pretty much already did the minute they announced he was coming back in the offseason. Yeah, look, I, the Chargers are a team like – like, you feel like you want to root for them. They got the nice little logo. They got the color scheme. That's dope. They got the – you got Khalil Mack, Herbert, Eckler, Keenan Allen, who's one of my favorite wide receivers, a guy who I feel like is a little bit underrated, underappreciated. But it's just something about the mix there with he – well, Herbert, that group, and Staley that clearly isn't working. And like you said, I thought he was gone after the playoff loss, but he came back this year. You felt like this had to be it for him. Either they make the playoffs, probably had to get a win in the playoffs, to be honest with you, in order for him to keep his job. And now they're sitting there at two and four, looking like they might miss the playoffs completely. And if you look back on it, it's going to be like, did they kind of waste these two years of Herbert's development by having Staley there? When they could have had, well, Sean Payton, but we see how that's going to Denver, but... Maybe the Kellen Moore coming over was a little bit late, although it seems like he probably would be the guy in waiting, and maybe we see a better Chargers team for that. But, like, you, you have to feel for Herbert and those guys because they're, they're just too talented to be this bad against good teams. I just don't get it. Yeah, and it's also just, like, what the Chargers, it feels like they've always done. Like, they've always just been a team that just disappoints and comes up short. We're talking about a team that one year that had the number one defense, the number one offense, and went eight and eight. Like yeah. I, I don't know how they pull it off, but that's a team like 
growing up I rooted for because I really loved Philip Rivers, LT, and Antonio Gates. Mm-hmm. They're, they're three of my favorite players growing up, and I always wanted to root for them. But, yeah, I they always just seem to come up short or just find a way to come up short when it matters the most. And it's just – it's unfortunate. And I hope they're – I do hope they're able to turn it around this offseason. I mean, yeah, they got to figure out something. Uh, I mean, another game I want to talk about. Look, say what you want about primetime Kirk Cousins. He got the win. He looked, he didn't look too bad. You know, no Justin Jefferson. Then, what, like halfway through, no Jordan Addison. And he still made plays with Hawkinson, had a good night. You know, the defense stepped up. They turned Brock Purdy over a couple of times. So, another bad Purdy game after the what Cleveland game was the first bad one we've seen. He's now doubled up on it. What, I guess, storyline out of that game do you take more from? Purdy struggles again, or maybe the Vikings have found a formula to winning right now. I would be a little more concerned right now about the 49ers. I think the biggest issue with that Vikings 49ers game, listen, here's the thing with that defense. It's really good when the pass rush is working. But if yeah. that pass rush isn't working, like outside of that front seven, you can attack the secondary. You can attack the corner and safety room. So the Vikings, that's what caught me off guard the most. The Vikings, like Nick Bosa, I forgot he was on the team. I didn't hear from him all night. Mm-hmm. Like they kept that pass rush at bay. And if you give Kirk Cousins time, like he's going to dissect most defenses, especially one with the 49ers who have a weaker secondary. Their hope of winning that game resided in just getting home, making Cousins uncomfortable, and they couldn't do it. I'm not. Yeah. Still, I'm still not sold on the Vikings. I, I'm not too worried about them. I don't think there's a takeaway. Like, it's great that they're winning games, but my question is: Do you really believe that they'll win enough games now to hop back into the playoff picture, even a wild card spot? I I don't think so. I think they'll come up just short. But this could also be a positive takeaway for them going into next year if they find out something that works with the offense, with or without Kirk Cousins. So Steven said Vikings are starting to wake up, may make some moves at the trading deadline. I mean, that's that's kind of an interesting point because up until this game, a lot of people are like, the Vikings are going to be sellers. But now, would they be bold enough to be buyers all of a sudden because – they're not completely out of the division race. They're they're obviously not in a comfortable position, but if they can string together a couple of wins, like who knows? I mean, would you buy if you were Minnesota? Or would you kind of just stay fat, ride it out, and then treat the offseason however you want to go? I think you just stay pat in all reality because you trade assets and you're on this run right now, but all it takes is one loss and – that almost that almost just knocks you out or just knocks you down real hard. So they have a crew right now. The crew that they have right now is what won them two in a row. I honestly, at this point, would just kind of ride it out with what's working right now. And as long as you can, I wouldn't move any assets because like one or two losses down the road and boom, although all those assets all, almost seem like a waste. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And look, we'll see if if the Addison injury is that big of a deal, but look, I, I'm a big Kirk Cousins guy. I, I, I constantly try to take up for him when people talk about how bad he is or whatever. This is now multiple primetime games this season where he's performed pretty well. 
maybe he can get away from the bad primetime Kirk and kind of rebuild his image a little bit. But I definitely like what I saw from him. Even the running game showed up in spots for them. No, I, I, I've always kind of been a big Kirk Cousins guy, like even watching him, even though he's on the Vikings, even though I'm supposed to hate on him. But right. in all reality, I've, I've always kind of been a good, like bigger on Kirk Cousins than most. Because mm-hmm. he does put up a lot of good numbers. He does, he's good enough to keep a lot of his teams in the games. Like the last year's uh, playoff game against, I think it was the Giants that they lost like 38, 35 or something like that. Mm-hmm. That defense was so porous, and the only reason that they were in the game was Kirk Cousins. A lot yeah. of people clowned him because of that check down on fourth and eight. Wasn't his best moment. But that doesn't undo the fact that for the first, you know, 47 minutes and 50 seconds of football, he was the the lifeblood of the Vikings. And that was proven multiple times last year when they had a bottom-ranked defense. They had an aging old defense, and Cousins led game-winning drive after game-winning drive. So... I'm with you, honestly. I'm here for the Kirk Cousins uplifting. I'm no Kirk Cousins slander here. Kirk Cousins slander free zone right now. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, what's up, Sajin, Jory? What's going on, Key? What's up? All right. So now, look, we talked about those games. I think we're gonna get a little spotlight to our teams. I don't know if you want to talk about your Packers first or second. Uh, I'll leave it up to you. You want, to, you want to attack them sure, now? Sure, I can talk right. about the Packers. I mean, look, they, they face the Broncos. We know the, the dumpster fire the Broncos have been. And I think now it, it, it's kind of turned into all of the goodwill and the hype that Jordan Love built up the first couple of weeks are like completely gone. And now the conversation is back to, is he the guy? Should he be the starting quarterback next year? So as a Packers fan, like, how do you feel about Jordan Love right now? I still believe in Jordan Love. I Listen, when it comes to Jordan Love, a lot of people are like, well, you know, they're comparing him to Aaron Rodgers' rookie year. And the difference between his rookie year and Aaron Rodgers' first year starting, Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers had sure-handed guys. He had, like, Donald Driver, or Michael Finley. I believe he had Greg Jennings on that team. Jordan Love is right now in there with a lot of first and second year guys. That's an extremely young offense. Aaron Rodgers could do a lot of things in his first year that his receivers are smart enough to react to. Jordan Jordan Love, like some of these throws, like they're there. And a veteran receiver knows how to adjust, make the right adjustments to make the catch. Or like on that last interception, Honestly, a veteran receiver probably turns around and powers back through the ball, and he probably draws a pass interference penalty. I've seen that multiple times. Mm-hmm. not saying it was the best read, but my point is I still believe in Jordan Love. I I think he's shown enough that I'd be willing to give him a contract after this year. I think the bigger issue with Green Bay is simple. It's the coaching staff. The coaching staff comes in for the first 30 minutes – and looks like they run a playbook that's straight from the 1967 championship Packer team. Hey, we're going to run the ball. Hey, play action, but it's not a shot. We're just going to dump it to Aaron Jones. Like, you look at his passing charts in the first half of games, and half the time it's all five yards and in. And it looks like we just don't prepare for games at all because we come out in the second half every game, and all of a sudden we start giving the opponent, you know, hell, like we try to come back. Like, you dropped 19 in the second half on Denver. The issue is, 
the coaching staff didn't have this team ready to play for the first 30 minutes. And football, unfortunately, is 60 minutes long, not 30. If it was 30 minutes long, we'd be in pretty uh, pretty good shape. But I'm frustrated with the coaching staff from Matt LaFleur's play calling. He's just making terrible decisions. He's just not having the team ready to go. That's a great point, too. The O-line just isn't blocking very well. I think, too, the defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, we have a talented defense that covers up a lot of really bad play calling he does. We saw that a lot in action against the Raiders. We have, They're 10 yards away from the end zone. Joe Barry's lining his safety up in man coverage five yards into the end zone, leading to the easiest touchdown alive. Or all the times we lined up Preston Smith on Devontae Adams. Like, I think that whole coaching staff just needs to be looked at in the offseason because we need somebody that's going to come in, he's going to hold these guys accountable, and make sure we're ready to play for 60 minutes. Like, that's my frustration right now. It's more so, like, I get it, the players are young, they're going to make mistakes, but I'm more annoyed right now than anybody with the coaching Mm -hmm. staff because they have not done their job at all this year. All right, so we got Joshua in here. What's up? Uh, Key asked, because you did talk about that coaching staff, and LaFleur is a guy that when Rodgers was there, a lot of people were looking at him and put a lot of blame on him when they flamed out in the playoffs. So now with the way that the season's going, as Key asked, does LaFleur need to be on the hot seat or because Love is a young quarterback, you kind of keep them together and hope they figure it out? I, th- I think there needs to be a, I think there needs to be a conversation for sure. Um, because it, it's, it's almost clear. Cause last year I was kind of thinking that Rogers was just uh, checking out uh, of every LaFleur play because, because he's being Aaron Rodgers. Now it just looks like Aaron Rodgers was right to check out of every Matt LaFleur play. So I think there's a situation we have where I need to see more from LaFleur in the second half. If he cannot get this team to play for the first 30 minutes in a full 60-minute game or have them looking somewhat motivated, yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't I care if he walked. Like, I do did enjoy him with Rodgers, but as the season progresses, it's really starting to look like that was more Aaron Rodgers winning MVPs with LaFleur than LaFleur aiding Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Um, see, we got like 10 people in here watching. What's going on, everybody? Keep the chat flooded. You know how it is on the big three. We love to hear from you. And uh, we'll definitely keep you guys involved in the show. Got Evan. What's up, Evan? From Two Guys in Hockey Talk. I agree with Joshua. Yeah, I guess that's the LaFleur will be gone before uh, Jordan Love. I uh, got Jory saying LaFleur hasn't been the same since he was our offensive coordinator. And... Looks like Hackett was better to. Oh man, can't can't throw it Hackett in there now. And Chris, Matt might be an issue, but Love can't even do the easy stuff. If your quarterback can't make the layups, they shouldn't be your quarterback. Okay, so Chris putting a little bit of the onus onto Jordan Love, but look, it wasn't a completely terrible uh, Sunday for Packers fans because the Lions lost as well. So at least he didn't lose any ground in the in the division, because we could talk about that game as well. Look, the Lions went uh, into Baltimore. I, I was you know foolishly picked the Lions to make that game interesting. I thought they would cover, possibly win it, but they did a complete no show. And now we have 
<sighs> Ravens fans celebrating all over the place. And look, I don't need that right now, okay? Because they still can't win playoff games, but that's neither here nor there. Their unstoppable offense finally showed up. That, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, yes, they finally put together a four-quarter performance that you can look back and say, okay, if you wanted to sell me that Greg Roman was the problem and Munkin was going to bring some revolutionary offense to Baltimore, fine. You could put on that tape and say, look, scoring 38 points, looking like an unstoppable offense. I think now the conversation coming out of that game is, is Lamar a MVP candidate? Is he a front runner? I've heard some people say he's the favorite to win it right now. Where do you stand on that with Lamar Jackson? Um, I think it's still too early to tell, but I definitely think he should be in consideration for sure. I think Lamar, Josh Allen definitely has to be up there after the nice stretch of games he's had. Hell, I think even like Tyreek Hill should be in in that conversation right now. But at at the end of the day, it's still too early, but right now he's definitely in the conversation. Let's just see if he's still there in, you know, week 16 or week 17. Yeah, I agree. You know, Jory and Josh were saying the same thing. Jory said he has to do it for the rest of the season. Josh saying he has to prove he can be consistent. I definitely agree with that because we're almost getting to the point in the season where, you know, knock on wood, not wishing anything on anybody, but we don't normally see Lamar play too many games in the regular season. He's made it to week seven. You know, can he stay upright? You know, he did use his legs to escape pressure against Detroit and made some good throws down the field. Nelson Aguilar caught a touchdown pass. Where was this when he was in New England? That's neither here nor there. Aguilar was having a lot of drops. Now he all of a sudden he's catching more passes. Like, what are we doing now? Um, But, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll have to see if Lamar can do that against that Browns defense when they face them again. You know, can he go? drive for drive against Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense that looked like they've kind of turned it around. Even Pittsburgh. Look, Pittsburgh is hanging in there. A lot of people thought this is the year that Tomlin might fall off. They might fall under 500. They're foot four and two and look like a team that's just finding ways to win. I think that's going to be where Lamar can prove some things if he can do it within, within that division again. Uh, Josh says, wasting money on Odell. I didn't understand the fit to begin with because he's outside the numbers. Lamar doesn't throw outside the numbers, which, you know, Odell had to get his one to get paid, so he went there. Yeah, that, that that was a signing that if you look past the name value, it just didn't make any sense to begin yeah. with. Hey, they're winning, so nobody's going to really worry about that right now. Right. Until he starts, you know, proposing to kicking nets and all that again. Uh, Lamar to, Lamar ought to worry about finishing the season without getting injured. That's going to be the storyline, of course, with Lamar. Now, you did bring up Josh Allen. Segway to Bill's Patriots. Josh Allen had an up-and-down game. Very first play, throws the interception to Jabril Peppers, who I will say, become one of my favorite Patriots. He just seems like a guy that is a great leader in the, in the locker room. But, you know, they get down by double digits, then all of a sudden Josh Allen turns it on in the fourth quarter, engineers two touchdown drives in like three and a half minutes. You thought that maybe Buffalo was going to 
find a way to escape with the win, only for Mac Jones to engineer a comeback drive, 75 yards, finish it off with a Gesicki touchdown for the Patriots to win the game. You know, Gesicki does his gritty, I guess that's what you call it. To me, it's just a guy running around trying to do a gritty. <laughs> but look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna steal his joy that he caught the touchdown pass. So looking at this game, I don't know, because Josh Allen is, is is an interesting like study because he has the arm talent. The decision making at times is, is a bit of an issue. But I think we can still say Buffalo is putting too much on his shoulders. James Cook had a decent day running the ball until they got down by double digits in the turn of two. Josh Allen, 100% of the time. So, I mean, how bad of a loss was this for Buffalo? We'll start there. It It's definitely um, never ideal to lose to a divisional rival and, you know, especially one that in all reality you, you should have been, you should have been able to handle. Mm-hmm. And I think losses like this are going to continue to happen. That's the issue with the Buffalo Bills. When they get up, they don't have the running back to, you know, control the clock. It's going to give teams chances to come back into games. Or they're just one-dimensional. They're going to just go down double digits because teams know how to game plan for them. Josh Allen's a special enough talent that he can cover up for a lot of deficiencies. And a lot of the time, you know he's going to pass it, but he'll still find a way to make something happen. But unfortunately, that runs out after a while. That's not something you can rely on is just all the time. Just, all right, Josh Allen, go cook. Mm-hmm. Like, that'll work. But we've seen it. Once you get to the playoffs, you're going against the elite teams and the elite defense. Your luck's going to run out. This wasn't a good look for the Bills, and it just showed once again for another year they are putting too much on Josh Allen being a, the biggest threat in the pass and run game. And I just hope they're able to get some semblance of a balance because I don't want to see him run the ball too much and then end up like Cam Newton where a couple bad hits and messes up his shoulder and then he's done. I do like the talent. I just hope they protect it. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's something Buffalo's going to have to figure out. You know, they're sitting at four and three. I believe they only lost three games all of last season. So, like you said, there's more losses coming. You know, will this team be able to deal with that? Because we saw in the offseason – there was a little bit of a thing between Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs that, you know, Coach McDermott came out and said, oh, they fixed it. And, yes, it's easy to say that when they were winning, but now that they're 4-3, and three, hovering around 500, if they kind of stick around as a 500 team, will we hear more of that, you know, coming later in the season? But looking at the other side, my team got their second win of the season, so – one in 16 is now out the window. Thank you. I mean, we'll see how many more games they can get because, look, I was encouraged by what I saw. You know, Mac had a very efficient day. He was, what, 25 for 30, like 270-something yards, a couple of touchdowns, no interceptions, which was big. We saw Zeke running the ball effectively. We saw Ramondre Stevenson run the ball. He caught a couple of screens, looked good. Uh, Demario Douglas is a guy that not a lot of people know. Six-round pick out of Liberty. Looks like he's going to become a featured part of the offense, which I'm happy for. 
but now it does make it look like Juju might not be the, you know, the golden ticket that we thought when they signed him in the offseason. Devontae Parker seen a decrease in his uh, snaps. Jalen Rager, who I didn't even know was on the practice squad and then got elevated, looked okay. Now it seems like Bill O'Brien's trying to implement some speed at the wide receiver position. Not mad at that either. So from the Patriots' perspective, did this tell you anything about Mac Jones? Or do you still feel the same way you did about him before this past game? I guess basically, do do you think he could be the starting quarterback for this team long term? I think he could be. I think he's he's shown flashes of being that guy. I think, in all reality, I think a more realistic expectation, and because I need to see him do it more on a consistent right. basis. Mm-hmm. But I think right now I'm still considering him as just his ceiling being more of like a higher end game manager. Okay. But at the same time, he's shown flashes of being able to lead teams and kind of you know carry for small stretches. So if he shows more of that, then I think we can change the discussion. And the touchdown drive was a really good start to that. But I just haven't seen it enough to really kind of elevate him above, you know, my ceiling of him being high-end game manager. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that's definitely valid. I will say that a lot of the talk about the locker room getting frustrated for him and all that kind of stuff, look, at the end of that game, all the players going up to Mac, congratulating him, hugging him. It looked like a team that rallied around Mac, performed for him, and was happy for him. And I think that's something that we heard before this season, that his teammates really like him. They like the fire he brings. They like you know, the intelligence he has as a quarterback, and they want to see him do well. I think that's something that could carry them over the next couple of weeks. I mean, they do have a tough game against the Dolphins next week. Which we'll see how that goes, Chris. If you're still in here, we're coming for you. All right, we let you off the hook the first game, getting that one back. Um, but I think the last thing before we move on, we also heard about a Belichick contract extension. What do you think? Would you heard about that? Good for him. Listen, I think Bill deserves to retire on his own terms. People are going to say, "Well, what has he done without Brady?" It, it, to me, it, it doesn't matter because, to me, Belichick and Brady were a perfect symbiotic relationship that benefited a lot from each other. Yeah, he's had a couple of rough years after Brady, like, but out of that freak, he still led, like, Matt Jones to the playoffs in his rookie year. Mm-hmm. Like, he's to me, he's still a good coach. To me, this is almost the equivalent of – it would be like if people started asking – if people started asking, oh, well, should they move on from Pop? I think both – Oh, those guys are almost in the same tier. And those are guys that they've done so much for your franchise that they deserve to go out on their own terms. I agree with that. Um, Now, I did hear that some of the, I guess, finer details of the contract, which apparently the only people who know about it are Belichick, Robert Kraft, and Jonathan Kraft. They say Belichick, I mean, we kind of know that, but Belichick has a very small circle, and not a lot of people know everything. But the word apparently is like this is a deal that's for like the next couple of seasons because apparently Robert Kraft still really likes Gerard Mayo and wants Mayo to be the next coach after Belichick. So this isn't like some deal where he's going to be around to like 
2030 or something like that. This is something where it's like, you know, this season, next season, maybe the season after, and we kind of see where he is at that point. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. Look, 20-plus years of great success can't just be wiped away because of two or three years of a, of a struggle after a Hall of Fame quarterback possible. Well, to me, the greatest quarterback, but to some, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play leaves. Yes, it was going to be a struggle. So I, I'm fine with Belichick being around for the next couple of years. And I think a game like Sunday shows, like he can still get you wins. It's not like he's completely clueless. The defense still plays well. There's a lot of questions about the offense, but it seemed like they answered some questions on Sunday. All right. Um, I mean, are there any other games from this past week you want to touch on before we move on? Oh, no. I think I think that pretty much those are the big ones. I didn't really have my eye on too many other games this weekend. Okay. All right. So, look, the, the reason why we're here, I mean, kind of perfect timing because I think the first game is about to tip off shortly here. Let's get into our little NBA season preview because it's a big day for NBA fans. It's like NBA Christmas before Christmas Day when the NBA takes over. We have two games tonight, so we'll start there before we get into more predictions and everything. Uh, the first game is with Lakers and Nuggets. It's ring night out in Denver. Jory said the Lake Show. I know she's a Laker fan. I mean, ring night is always an interesting night because – the emotions are so high from getting that championship, the banner and everything that, oh, yeah, now we have to turn around and play a game after. So in that game, like, what, what are you looking for from Denver side and the Lakers side? From the Lakers, it, it's it's pretty simple. I, first, obviously, the real question is, how is LeBron looking in year 21? How much of the offensive load can you put on him without wearing him down? But really, what I want to see from the Lakers, Anthony Davis, assert yourself. When I call him Anthony Day-to-Day Davis, it doesn't necessarily always mean injuries, right? With Anthony Davis, it's his mindset that annoys me. Because I watch him one game go, hey, I'm the best player on the court, I'm going to prove it, and then he drops like a 40-point double-double. Then the next game, he just looks like, oh, well, I don't know if I really want to be here. I don't know if I want to play. I, I might be a good player. He's indecisive, and then he drops like 10 points. So this year with the Lakers, my biggest thing I want to see at the end of the day is I want to see Anthony Davis, and I want to see Anthony Davis assert himself as the best player on the court. LeBron's not getting any younger. He need, The Lakers need Anthony Davis to dominate and take over for LeBron James and kind of carry the mantle forward. Does he still have it in him? Can Anthony Davis be that guy? I want to see answers this year. I think he can, but to, he's just got to prove it consistently. And with the, I mean, it's oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I can ask one quick uh, question with the Lakers. Could it be something to question whether eighty just is fine being a Robin, not necessarily a Batman? Could we ask that? I, I think that's a valid question. And he very well might. I mean, the thing with AD that frustrates me sometimes is I think he's shown he can be Batman. I think you can build a championship team around AD. Okay. He's shown he can carry bad teams. He did it in New Orleans for a while. 
And if you can, if you tell me you can name five players from those New Orleans teams, stop lying to yourself. Those teams are terrible, and he still took them to the playoffs. And his two best players after him, by the way, were like Drew Holiday and Nikola Miritich. So I think that Anthony Davis can absolutely be the guy to carry the Lakers forward, but he just needs to find like that New Orleans mentality where he he went in against the Warriors, even though they're outmatched, and gave Draymond Green 30-plus points a night. So I just need to see that from him. He might be okay right now being a Batman, or I mean a Robin, but I need to see more Batman out of him if I'm going to be confident in him carrying the Lakers going forward. Okay. All right, well, I'll let you go ahead with your uh, Nuggets take. Oh, the Nuggets. My question with the Nuggets is – how will they replace the perimeter defense they lost in Bruce Brown? Because that, that's a big one. I think the, the Nuggets are still going to be fine in all reality. On offense, as long as you have Nikola Jokic, you'll you'll always be fine. You'll always have a top seven defense, offense minimum with Nikola Jokic. Defensively, I question if they'll be able to contain uh, dribble penetration like they did last year, and Bruce Brown was huge in that. You had Brown and Pope chasing guys around screens – so you couldn't necessarily always attack Jokic. So you could try, but you're going to be contested by KCP and Brown and Jokic or Aaron Gorge coming from the weak side. So they still have KCP, but I think the loss of Bruce Brown is going to be big defensively, and I'm curious on how they're going to replace that. I'll be watching that closely. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the Bruce Brown uh, subtraction shows they put a lot of faith in Christian Brown to take a step forward because he did have his moments during that title run. And I mean, I agree with you. We'll see how that plays out over the course of the year. I mean, look, looking at tonight, who do you think wins tonight? Give me the nuggets. I think they're going to, I think they're going to be extra hyped. I think they're going to be extra juiced. It's their ring ceremony. And I think they'll carry all that energy and momentum to a win. I, I, think, it'll be, I think it's a close game regardless. Yeah, I, look, I think it's not a bad way to start the NBA season off. And, yeah, I think the Nuggets get the win, which I know if Freddie was in here, he'd probably say, stop hating, got the king, well, whatever. Nuggets are winning tonight. Is it – say, was it – are the Nuggets playing the – Oh, I got it backwards. Warriors or are they playing the Lakers? I think it's Suns-Lakers. No, no, I just looked it up. It's Nuggets-Lakers. It's it Suns-Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I just wanted to get – I just wanted to – Okay, make... I guess Gene was saying I guess his winners tonight are – Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, Bobby. Yeah, I saw that at first. It did. It kind of messed with me as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be interesting to see because Denver won the title and then kind of became back page news while all this other stuff is going on in the offseason. So they're going to kind of reintroduce themselves like, hey, we won the title. We're still pretty good. And Phillies, okay. So he's just giving us our, giving us the winners: Nuggets, Nuggets, Warriors, and the Phillies. For the Lakers, it's a season where they're trying to build off of the second half of last season. First half was terrible. Lakers fans can agree with that, most of them. But the second half, they showed a team that has some depth to it and can can play with the big boys in the West. They made some additions as well. I, I mean, Jackson Hayes, Torian Prince, they they didn't bring in necessarily big names. They brought in depth filler role players. 
we'll have to see how well they do. But are the Lakers the third best team in the West? Or are they second best? I don't, I don't know where you put them. Where do you think the Lakers rank to start the season off in the West hierarchy? See, that that's an interesting question because do I think that they'll finish like third in the West at the end of the year? I don't I don't think so. That's an older that's team. I think they're going to end up having to rest LeBron and AD enough that it's going to knock them down, you know, lower than the third seed. But I do think that is around the second or third best team in the West. The Lakers do look legit. I think they made all the right moves this offseason. They didn't chase star power. They chased fit around LeBron and AD. The only signing that was, and even like the worst signing that they had, you can argue was like Jackson Hayes, but Jackson Hayes isn't playing any meaningful minutes. So it's not like we really care about that. It, that signing doesn't isn't a big deal at all for me. So I, I do like the Lakers offseason that they had. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I like bringing it up because Mo just says he's out there for cardio, and I think it's hilarious. Um <laughs> Then looking at, uh, well, I guess I'll say for the Lakers, I think they'll probably be a four or five seed. They'll be comfortably in the playoffs. But like you said, it's going to be more about getting LeBron to the playoffs and not wear him out and then kind of unleash him and see how far they can go. So then looking at Denver's side, who in the West would you say is their biggest competitor to repeat as Western Conference champions? In all reality, this is this is an interesting question because I don't think that the Warriors have enough to knock off Denver this year. Okay. I'm just trying to go through all the different teams because it's tough because I think they're just the clear-cut best team in the West still. I think your closest team might be – just might be the Lakers, but they just 4-0 swept them last year. So maybe if LeBron's healthy, that changes something, but I just – I just can't really see a team right now that that can match what the Denver Nuggets have to offer. Because okay. even even losing Bruce Brown, that core four with uh, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Jokic, you still have Porter Jr., KCP. Mm-hmm. That's a really good uh, rotation to be running out come playoff time. So I, I don't see a team in the West that's matching that. Yeah, I mean, I guess thinking about it, that does make a lot of sense because. Like, a lot of teams made moves last year, but like you, I don't know if they really did enough to stop Denver. Because, look, you got the Suns in the conversation with all that they did, but there's going to be questions about who's going to sacrifice to uh, play point and kind of give up some points to facilitate, which I guess is probably going to be Bradley Beal, but we'll see. I think he's out tonight. Um, You have the Kings, who were the feel-good story last year, but now it's... Now that people know what they're about, can they repeat that this season? You got Memphis, who just learned, yeah, John Morant's going to miss the first 25 games, but now no Steven Adams because he's out for the year. And we saw what the Grizzlies did last year when they didn't have Steven Adams. They, you know, didn't really do it. Yeah. I, well, yeah so, well, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, so, like, looking at Memphis – I don't really know where to place them as well because the first 25 games was going to be a challenge to begin with. I was like, if they could hang around 500, they might be better off. But now without Adams there, it puts more on Jaron Jackson to be, you know, that guy in the middle to protect the rim, 
you know, scoring of the basket and all that. And I've got my questions about him. And then outside of that, it's like the Clippers. Do you believe in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to actually care to play more than 65 games and put that team in a good position? Maybe on Paul George, maybe. But Kawhi, we know Kawhi's going to do what Kawhi wants to do. If he wants to play 50 games, he's going to play 50 games. He could care less about the 65-game threshold for postseason awards. And then and then it's like a bunch of teams, like you said, Golden State, you know, Minnesota. What do you make of them? Anthony Edwards is a budding star, but the gobert Carthony Towns pairing still is terrible on paper and on the court. So what, what becomes of them? The Pelicans have a lot of talent, but their biggest question mark is Zion Williamson. And I don't know how much faith we could really put into him. So I, I kind of agree with you. The Nuggets are probably the clear-cut frontrunner. I was going to say, I, honestly, when it comes to Memphis, I have questions about Jaron Jackson Jr. too, and I think that's going to be their downfall. I think they're going to go to the playoffs. I think they're still good enough to make it. They're going to run into any team with any semblance of size. And Jaron Jackson's just going to get cooked on the boards again. He's already shown he can't rebound over bigger defenders or just rebound that well in general with any sort of pressure. So, and with yeah. the Phoenix Suns, I, I don't, I don't even think they'll make the Western Conference Finals this year. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's that's. I mean, look for Phoenix, it's, it's like boom or bust. They could catch lightning in a bottle, run through the West, and we'll be like, oh, so building your team around four solidified stars and a bunch of random guys works or like you said they flame out in the playoffs and everybody will be like yeah we knew it wasn't going to work because you're so top heavy that the rest of your roster just isn't good enough but i guess we could transition to the second game with the suns versus the warriors so with those two teams i guess we kind of talked about them already but the biggest question mark we could say for phoenix would be the rest of the roster outside of the big four, are they good enough to hold up? What's the biggest question mark, I guess, for the Warriors season this year? Depth, age. Your big addition was Chris Paul. Do you trust Chris Paul to hold up in a playoff run? He has already shown he can. Yeah. I, I I think they also have a great starting lineup still. Clay Thompson, I think it, the talks of his demise last year were a little exaggerated because he still had a great year. But I think the bigger issue with Clay is it's just defense. He's lost a step on defense, and now this yeah. year they're going to try to match him up against power forwards. He's going to get overwhelmed. I think that's going to be, if anything, their biggest issue is if Clay shows any more signs of regression on defense, that's going to be tough to compensate for him and Steph. And you can you can bring Kevon Looney out of the paint and make it work at the rim against them. So. Overall, I think the biggest question mark is going to be depth, but it's also going to be age and regression is what's going to kill Golden State in the end. Yeah, I mean, Golden State's in an interesting position. Like you said, a lot of people are writing them off, but they still have enough talent there to make some noise. The Chris Paul part, it's like, obviously you think he's going to run the second team, but is he going to be there in the end? And if he's not, then what does that do to the rest of the team? You know, can Kaminga step up? 
uh, was it uh, Gary Payton the second? Like some of these these guys, the the younger players are gonna really have to carry for those nights when maybe Curry doesn't have it or Clay defensively to back him up. Um, because yeah, the whole thing about Clay playing the four, I feel like that's a recipe for disaster. Unless I don't even, I can't even think of a team that that would work against playing the four. Because most teams either have really athletic fours who would just kill him athletically, or they have big lumbering guys at the four who will just bully him. So I don't understand what Steve Kerr thinks is going to work putting Clay at the four. I, 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 that's just not going to work at all. I, I get trying to switch everything, but you're going a little too far with that one. He's just yeah. going to get cooked every time down low. Yeah, I definitely agree. But um, look. We'll see. Steve Kerr is a brilliant coach. If he makes it work, I won't question him. All right, so we looked at the two games from tonight. You know, once again, this is a season preview for the NBA. You know, if you're in here, make sure you like, subscribe, and share. Definitely appreciate that. Let the chat flow again. Keep it coming. All right, so we'll. I guess we'll start with – I guess we'll continue with the West, and then we'll go to the East, and we'll kind of go back and forth on – you know, breaking down the team's playoffs and all that. So in the West, what's a team to you that maybe was at the bottom of the West who could surprise some teams and make a move up kind of like what Sacramento did last year? I think the answer to that one, sorry. I think the answer to that one that would catch a lot of people off guard is probably the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. I think that team could make a leap as long as Carl Anthony Towns is healthy. Do I think they're a title contender? Absolutely not. Do I think that they could win 50 games and make a surprisingly deep playoff run? Yeah. And if Ann takes another step into superstardom, say what you will about Rudy Gobert, but he still has that impact where he steps on the court and you have a top 10 defense. And Carl Anthony Towns is still one of the best offensive big men in the game, so... It's an awkward fitting puzzle, but at the end of the day, I think that if they get creative enough, they can make it work and surprise a lot of people with a pretty deep playoff run this year. Yeah, and you know we saw some stuff from the off season where, because you said Carl Anthony Towns is one of the best big men, like perimeter players on offense. We were seeing some footage of Rudy Gobert shooting threes. Look, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it in a game. Because we saw, you know, Ben Simmons do this, not then not shoot him. Look, if if Rudy Gobert added anything offensively, then I would feel differently about them. But it's just that right now he's a guy that kind of takes up space, and you have Anthony Edwards who likes to get to the rim. I think when he's on the court with Carthony Towns, it pushes Towns to the perimeter too much. I, I think Towns has to find that balance between. Yes, I can shoot the three, but I don't need to live out there because that's kind of, you know, letting teams off the hook defensively. You know, he should be able to go down in the block, put his hand up, you know, throw it down to him, and he should be able to do work down there. Problem is, I just don't see him do that enough, which is why I don't really buy into Minnesota. But, look, I'm a big Anthony Edwards fan, and I would love to see it, but um, I don't know if I believe in them. I mean, I was trying to think of a team for myself that I would think could make a leap. Well, I think I think like the the obvious choice would be Oklahoma City. 
because yeah, Shea is a you know top ten guy. Chet Holmgren's back from the injury last season. They they just have like really good depth with like Dort, Williams, and it was like Pokashevsky. I think I said that right. Yeah. All right, I'll give myself credit for that one. Um, they they seem like they're really well coached, and they're a team that I feel like people are just waiting for them to finally get there, so that more people realize how good of a player Shea is. So I, I'd probably say Oklahoma City, and maybe a dark horse might be Houston, because I really like what they did in the offseason. You know, kind of trimming some of the young players that they had and bringing in established veterans. Yes, one of those veterans was Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is – look, you got to take the good and the bad with him. He's getting himself kicked out of preseason games for going low on people. You just got to live with it. It's their problem now. But I do think Houston could make some – make it interesting this season. What do I, you think about Houston? I want to believe in Houston so bad because I've been buying – I've been stockpiling stock in Alperin Sangoon for like two years now. Mm-hmm. I think he's a phenomenal talent, and I think offensively speaking, he could reach the bonus levels of talent. I think he's that good. Okay. I like that. However, the one issue I have is your collection of guards. I have an issue with Jalen Green, Dylan Brooks, and Fred Van Fleet. Yeah. You have three guys who have shown in the past that have a very low shot IQ. My question about Houston is, and if they can fix their shot selection, that's fine. But can they fix their shot selection? Because I feel like there are going to be a lot of possessions where it's, oh, them taking turns, just going up and spamming really bad shots because they all just want their looks. I think Houston has some fine pieces. Same dude, I think Jalen Green can still be a fine piece. Tari Eason, I think, is a great piece too. But my question with Houston is I want to be high on them. I want to be higher than them than I am. But I just don't know how that offense is going to work, and I have a lot of questions and reservations about it. I think it's all valid, yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I kind of like them because, one, they have Jeff Green, and Jeff Green's one of those guys I always root for. Would have loved to have seen him work out with the Celtics in one of his many trips to Boston. I think he had like two cents with them. I would have loved to see him win his title in Boston, but he got in Denver. It's all good. Um, but yeah, Van Vliet is a guy I'm not really that big of a fan of, but I understand why they went and got him because he can put up, he can get you buckets. You will have to worry about him defensively and trying to hide him and everything like that. I guess that's why you brought him to Brooks as a perimeter defender, and maybe that helps out. But it's going to be a challenge for Ime Udoka for sure to get this group to kind of come together early in the season with so many changes being made to the roster. I, I want to see like what kind of, what kind of game plan he implements with them. Like what, what's their style. They could be, you know, they might be one of those teams where it's like, you're sitting there on league pass, you'll tune on to Houston because it'll just be entertaining to watch. Whether they win or lose, you'll have fun watching them. And maybe that's what, what they are this season. I don't know. All right, so I guess we could go through the West. Um, I guess I'll run down the teams and we could say, are they a contender? Are they a play-in or a pretender and All probably right. sit at the bottom of, of the West? 
we'll have some fun with this one. Uh, all right, so we'll start the Pacific. I'll just work my way down. The Suns. They're pretenders. They're going to lose in the second round. I don't. We we questioned the Bucks defense right because they got Dame and they're, but at least they can build something around Giannis and Brook Lopez that can be sustainable. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of questions about Phoenix's defense. I really do. I think that really just might be the worst defense in the league or close to it. Like Bradley Beal's not a stopper. Devin Booker is actually a much better defender than people give him credit for. Yeah. But that's about where that ends. Nurkic isn't a good defender. Kevin Durant is potentially your rim protector and your defensive anchor in year 17. I, I'm not buying it. I don't buy this. I think that your whole s- strategy of just outshoot everybody, it, it never works. It didn't work for the 80s Nuggets. It did, it's not going to work now. It didn't work for the seven seconds or less Suns. It's not going to work for the 2023 Suns. So I think they're a pretender. I agree, pretender. Yeah, like like you said, a lot of questions of, about even offensively, like how do they share the ball, share the you know scoring load? Because we know that Durant can score, Booker can score, Beal can score. How does it work with the three of them on the same court at the same time? And they did a great job getting pieces outside of them. They did a lot better than I thought they would. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not buying into that roster, so I'll agree pretender. All right, next up, the Clippers. I'm going to go with pretender. I I want to say contender, but that all consists of Kawhi Leonard's healthy, mm-hmm. and I cannot buy that anymore at this point. He looked phenomenal in the two games he actually played in the playoffs last year. But until I see a healthy Kawhi Leonard, I'm pretenders, but I'll buy them as contenders if Kawhi's healthy this year. I'm going pretender. I like Paul George. But, yeah, it's just too much to ask for all of those guys to stay healthy and be healthy at the same time. Because I feel like last season it was like George would play, then he'd go out, then Kawhi was playing, then he'd go out, then here comes George. They they need to play consistently together before I can say they're, they're contenders. Uh, let's see. All right, here's an interesting one. Sacramento. Oh man, this this one's interesting. It is interesting. I think. Oh, I gotta really think about this one because they're tough. They're really mm-hmm. tough because I think their offense is gonna be back to full full force. But that but that defense just looks abysmal. I want to almost put them in the pretender category too, just because I don't know who's getting stops for that team. Their best stopper in the starting lineup is arguably Harrison Barnes, and that's not ideal considering his age. So I yeah. I, I want to go uh, pretenders on the King, Kings as well. I would go – oh, man, because that is a good point. I feel like just, just, just for the feel-good nature of it, I'm going to put him as contender because the more we can see light the beam come playoff time, the happier I am. And look, it's a franchise that, you know, I'm a Celtics fan. Back in the 90s, I loved watching Kings basketball. And the fact that the fans out there have another reason to cheer for their team, I'm always a big fan big fan of that. So I'll say contender, but question mark on that one. Uh, okay, aforementioned, Lakers. 
Lakers, I think, are contenders. The question mark with that, pretty much it's the, almost the same as the Clippers I had. I'll buy them as contenders if Kawhi's healthy. I'll buy the Lakers as contenders if you can get LeBron and AD to the playoffs healthy. If they're both healthy, I don't see any team that they can't run through outside of Denver, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that we'd be in for an awesome rematch. I think it would be a fun series. So I'll take the Lakers as contenders this year. Okay. All right. The, the Celtics fan in me won't allow me to say that they're contenders. But I'm going to keep it professional on here and say I agree that they are contenders. So between LeBron and AD, how many games do you think the Lakers need to get out of them to be to, to kind of establish themselves as contenders? I think in total, if they can get – because I know AD said his goal is to play all 82 games. I don't think that happens. He was clearly getting ready for a stand-up career post-NBA. <laughs> I think I think a realistic number he can aim for though is I don't see why he can't play sixty five to hit the threshold for awards. Okay. I think a real in all reality a realistic number is probably fifty five. I think as long as they can get to the playoffs healthy, they're a threat to anybody. Okay, they, they just need to play enough games to get there together, and if they do that and they're healthy, look out! Lakers are definitely going to be coming for everybody this year. Yeah. That point will be about matchups in the in the playoffs. I, I agree with that. Uh, okay, last team in the Pacific, Golden State. Oh, I I will give Golden State the uh, and Steph the respect they deserve. I I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with contenders. I do like the pieces that they have. I do think Gary Payton's a phenomenal piece. Andrew Wiggins, Draymond. That's a nice that's a nice core to a defense right there if you need to sub Clay out. But even Clay last year, he's still 20 a game, elite three-point shooting. He still has it on offense, clearly. If Chris Paul can stay healthy, and I know that's an if, but mm-hmm. him and Kaminga should ha- actually run a really good bench unit. So health permitting, I'm gonna say that they're contenders this year. Look, I I wanna I wanna root for for Steph Curry because I just love how Steph Curry just gets LeBron fans so heated. I think they're pretenders only because I just don't know about the Chris Paul fit, and I feel like the way that their offseason kind of went, you're gonna tell me that the difference between last year and this year is Chris Paul. I don't know if I'm buying that, so. Uh, and look, they lost Jordan Poole. And look, Jordan Poole is another guy you kind of have to deal with the bad, but he was a guy who could fill it up at least when he was on. Of course, when he was off, it was brutal to watch, but you kind of had to live with that because he gave them an element outside of Curry as a guy who could, you know, create for himself a little bit. And I think they will miss that at times this year. So I'll say pretender. Although I'd love to see them give it like one last run, because like because obviously the time's coming to a close of Curry, Draymond, and Clay together. Uh, okay, let's go Southwest. Interesting division here. Start with those Grizzlies. What do you think? Oh, they're a team I want to say contenders so so bad, but I have to I have to say pretenders with them. I just think I just don't think Jared Jackson's ready to be the guy in the middle. And last year during the playoffs, we clearly saw it. It killed them. 
Anthony Davis and LeBron went in and over completely overwhelmed them on the boards. Mm-hmm. Barring a midseason trade to shake things up and bring in a bring in a guy that can kind of shore up the middle for them, I think they're pretenders. Okay, um, I agree. Like even just the last season's playoffs where Jaron Jackson didn't show up, he struggled in the World Cup as well the FIBA World Cup or whatever, because he was basically the only size the U.S. had, and they were getting bullied by teams like Germany down low. And that was, that was one of the reasons why I was like, I knew the U.S. wasn't going to necessarily win gold over there because, like I said, I'm not a Jaron Jackson guy like that either. They ended up not even meddling. And I think that that's going to carry over into the regular season unless he finds something to kind of change it and become more of a presence down there. If not, yeah, I think they'll, they'll they'll make the playoffs, but they'll be at the bottom and maybe like a one-and-done type team. So I agree, pretender. I'll say, not, not to mention with Jackson, the other thing that frustrates me is for a DPOI, he just almost has insanely – I want to say he has low IQ, but mm-hmm. holy cow, does that dude just rack up too many fouls in such a yes. short amount of time. So – I'm not going to see he has a low IQ. I don't think he can have a low basketball IQ and, you know, win DPOI. Right. I question his judgment on defense sometimes, as weird as that is to say, because we saw it in the World Cup. We played like 14 minutes and fouled out. Mm-hmm. If you take it right at him, he's going to foul you. So I, I need to see that from him, too. Just be more disciplined on your contests. Yeah. Like I said, I agree. Pretender. Pretender. Kind of like you, I want to say contender so bad because my guy Marcus Smart's there now. And I, I think there's a lot that he might be able to bring to that team. Also, Derrick Rose, which I think is an underrated signing by them. Because, look, Derrick Rose is one of the one of those uh, basketball players you kind of just have to root for, for the way he transformed his game after the knee injuries, taking his athleticism away. But, I, look, yeah, I just don't think they have enough to – kind of hang with your L.A.'s or, or Denver's next season. Uh, next team, let's go with the Pelicans. This one is um, – oh, this is another one I want to say contender so badly, but that would require Zion to be healthy. He hasn't shown he can do that yet. I'm going to go pretender and it's rest on the back. And the matter of fact that Zion, they need Zion. But the question is, can Zion play enough when it matters to propel them on a deep playoff run? And I I don't think he can yet. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And at this point with Zion, it's kind of like the AD plan. Can you give us 50, 55 games that if he can – I think the the Pelicans are are a great team. And oddly enough, I feel like if you took Zion out of the equation, the Pelicans are still a really good team. I think it's just the fact that you're like yo-yoing Zion in and out of the lineup. I think it just messes with so much that they end up underachieving. So unless he's so it's it's kind of a situation where he either has to be all the way in or you kind of have to remove him in order for New Orleans to kind of move forward. So I agree that they are pretenders, but they have the talent to be a contender for sure. Uh, Houston is next up. 
yeah, they're uh, they're definitely uh, they're pretender. They they could surprise. I think they could win some more games than people expect, but I don't even see them getting to the play-in quite yet. Mm-hmm. I think that might take a, another year or two of development from the young guys. As much as I'm a resident Fred Van Fleet hater, I just take that his favorite type of shot to take is a heat check, even if he's yeah. shooting one at 10. <laughs> I do understand why they brought him in, and I do think he's going to add tremendous value. I just don't I don't see even a play-in game for them until next year at the earliest. Uh, I mean, I want to say play-in for Houston, but I do kind of think the same way that that's probably the, the stepping stone for next year. This year is going to be all about the culture that Eme could bring down there, showing that they're more of a mature team. Because a lot of stuff that hindered them the past couple of years was they were so young that they were just immature in situations where they'd have bad turnovers or bad shot selection. Like, can they fix that this year and then next year try to make a run at the play-in and then after that try to be a top six team? But, yeah, I'll, I'll agree. Uh, pretender. I mean, the NBA soap opera, Dallas. Oh, man, give me – I think Dallas is going to land in the play-in. Okay. I think they'll win in the play-in. I think they'll make the playoffs through the play-in. But this team is not touching a finals at all. They're not. I don't think they come close. I wanna. I wanna like what, you know, Luca and Kyrie. That's a nice pairing on offense. My questions once again come from the defensive side of the ball. Neither of them are stoppers. Mm-hmm. I think. I will give them credit. I do love the signing of Josh Green that they just had. I thought that was a phenomenal deal. The trade for Rashawn Holm, you know, helps as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm just not sure that they'll have enough on the defense, defensive end to hold off at these higher-end teams. So I'm going to go play in, and they'll make it to the playoffs, but I think they're a first-round exit. I mean, once again, I agree. I think Dallas is a play-in team. They brought in Grant Williams as well. It's going to be interesting to see what Grant Williams' role is in in Dallas. You know, Boston, we kind of knew he was a, you know, depth big. You threw him out there on Giannis. He could be physical with him. You know, you could throw him out there on Embiid. He could be physical with him, kind of frustrate him a little bit. But now that he's, you know, knocked down the occasional three, although his three-point shooting did slip last season, Will he regain that in Dallas, which if he does, I think will be a big help to them because when Dallas gets in trouble is when the offense becomes Kyrie, Luka, make it happen. We're just going to stand here and watch. If they can get some movement in there and and guys like Grant Williams could hit shots from the perimeter, then, yeah, they could maybe be a six seed and avoid the play-in. But, yeah, I, I think the way the West is setting up, they, they're probably clearly a playing team at best. All right, let's round out the Southwest. Those San Antonio Spurs, good old Victor Wimbiyama. They're pretenders. I think they're going to need another year of development from Wimby. I do think that, you know, he's going to come in. He's going to win Rookie of the Year. There's going to be a lot of good highlights from him. And I think you're going to see a leap from guys like Devin Vassell. I, I think there's a reason they extended him. He's a very good player. He's mm-hmm. just one of those unsung players. 
But I think you're looking at a situation. This team's just too young. So I, I think they just end up missing out. Okay. Um, I agree, pretender. Now, you said you have Wemby winning uh, Rookie of the Year. I actually think Chet wins it. You know, one of those second-year guys missed the first year. They seem to find a way to win it. I think it would be an interesting race, but I would probably give it to Chet. All right, the Northwest, Minnesota. Pretenders, but they do much better than everybody else thinks. And a lot of that does come from the fact that I think this is an Anthony Edwards takes another leap into superstardom this year. And I think his offense is just going to mask a lot of what the Timberwolves just can't do. Like, I don't think they're beating the top teams in the West, but I could almost see them making a make, making a nice run to the second round, or if they get the matchups right, maybe they pull a 2021 Hawks, or uh, maybe they make a surprising run to the conference finals. But overall, I, I think this is a team where they're pretenders, they're not winning a title, but I think they're going to be better this year than a lot of people expect them to be. Okay. Um, I have Minnesota as a playing team. Um, whether or not they get out of the plane, it'll probably depend on who the other, well, two teams, since we both agree that Dallas will be one of them. Whoever the other two teams are might decide whether or not Minnesota makes it out, but I think they'll they'll probably be like the eight seed and be one of the favorites to come out. It's whether or not who's nine and ten. Uh, I agree. I think Anthony Edwards makes a step. Like, looking at this right now, you think Anthony Edwards is like a top 20 player? Top fifteen. I'm pretty sure he's probably he's not top ten yet. But where do you kind of have Anthony Edwards right now? If I had to rank right now off the top of my head, I would put Anthony Edwards as like he's probably hovering between that fifteen to twenty range. Okay. This, I think this is a year where he jumps right up to almost like almost the top ten, like that eleven to twelve spot. I think he comes really close that people say that this dude's almost a top 10 player in the NBA. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, All right. Uh, look, they, they got rid of Dame. Let's talk about Portland. Where do you see them going? Uh, the lottery. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what else to say about them. Their offense is just really awkward. I think it's going to be fun. In the sense that I think you have a young team that's going to push it in transition and get a lot of highlight dunks. Like Scoot, Matisse Thibel can run. They have guys that can run. And, you know, Simons is going to, you know, occasionally get hot and give you a nice shooting night. But I, I think this will be a fun league pass team to watch, but this is a lottery team. Yeah, I, I agree. They're going to be a team that when they run, they'll look good. You get them in the half court. Uh, I don't know. It's going to get a little dicey there. Um, I mean, they they probably could flirt with a play-in spot. <sighs> nah, yeah, they're, they're probably pretenders because I'm thinking of two other teams I could see in the play-in. I don't see Portland, you know, getting past either of them. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say pretender for, for uh, Portland. That's my big issue with them, too. It's in the half court. What are you going to do? Run DeAndre Aiden post-ups? That sounds like very low percentage basketball. So, nah, I'm good on that one. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm assuming it's going to be pick and roll, scoot Aiden, see what comes of that. And if you get it to Aiden, 
kick it out to Simons. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, let's see. We got uh, Denver. I mean, I think we could both agree. Contender. Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah. No, nothing derails that outside of a Jokic injury. Right. Uh, okay, Oklahoma City. I think they're a play-in team. I agree. I think this. I think it's going to be close. I think they'll be in it all year. I think it's a team that might come out hot. They are a young team, so I think they'll kind of just slow down and slow down towards the end of the year as the games start getting more intense. Because a lot of these guys, some have experience in you know big games, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they have enough experience in a lot of these big games at the end of the year to. Uh, push themselves into the playoffs and, you know, start winning playoff series quite yet. But I do think that this is going to be a, this is definitely a play-in team this year, and they're definitely going to be a team to look out for in the future, especially with 39 picks. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like, all the young talent that they have, and they have, just have so many assets down the line that, you know, they they could either package some of them and bring in a difference maker or the way that they've been drafting, they may just end up drafting a bunch of really good players and just going the young route, kind of like the Orioles in baseball, and then waiting waiting it out until eventually they all click simultaneously and become a really good team. All right, final team in the West, Utah. Utah is interesting. I think they're. Uh, <clears throat> I think they'll just fall short of the plane. I think. You know what? I'll actually mark them down for the last play-in spot. I do have some faith in Utah. I, I think Lori Markinen's on the best contract in the NBA. I think it, it, yeah, that's yeah. a tough one to compete with. I think that John Collins too is going to be big. I think he's going to have a resurgent year. I, I didn't like his fit in Atlanta. I don't think he's a guy that can just stand around and spot up on the perimeter and wait for Trey to do something. That's just not John Collins' game. Yeah, I think they have enough interesting and young pieces in there that will take a big enough leap that they're going to be flirting with that final play-in spot, and I think they'll get it. Once again, I agree. I have Utah as a play-in team. I think we agree on the play-in teams with Dallas, uh, Oklahoma, Utah, and who was the other one? Was it New Orleans? Yeah, yeah. I kind of have Minnesota. I mean, New Orleans in the hand hanging around in the play-in. That's right. Yeah, New Orleans, Minnesota. I think was yeah. So we have about the same outlook on the West. All right. So now let's turn to the East. We are both fans of teams in the East. I mean, actually, the two top teams in the East. So we'll we can actually start there. Both teams made. Key moves this offseason. You know, the Bucks went out and got Dame, even though it looked like he was supposed to go to Miami. He was destined to go there. Nope. Swooping at the last minute. Get him out of Portland. Then they give Giannis the extension after everybody's starting to speculate. You know, Giannis is putting the team on notice. Giannis doesn't want to be there. Well, he just signed a three-year deal, so obviously he was fine with staying in Milwaukee for the next couple of years. And then on the other side, you had Boston, where they answered the Dame Lillard deal by getting Drew Holiday. And they also turned around and got the unicorn Porzingis. 
Uh, so looking at those two teams, like I said, you're a Bucks fan. I'm a Celtics fan. How would you rate those two teams right now going into the season? Oh, man. I, so I'm trying to do this right, and I'm trying to do this without – you know, being biased because I think that's the hard part with this question. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. mentally, I'm like, yeah, Bucks number one, baby. <laughs> I do think that the Bucks have questions about their uh, perimeter defense. From what I saw in preseason with Damon Malik, they really frustrated me because they played good perimeter defense for like the first 15 seconds of the shot clock, and but the slightest pump fake, they always they're always jumping and then putting themselves in an awkward position, and we can't recover. Mm-hmm. I do believe in the Bucks being the best team in the East as long as we can kind of get that out of their system. If we can take everything and funnel it in to Giannis and Brooke, I think we can put together a good enough defense around them that remains in the top 10. So I still believe uh, – I still believe – I'm going to sound like a homer here, but I'll take the Bucks as the number one team in the East. I'm just not a bad answer because – you know, the, the Celtics have probably been the best team in the East and matching up with, with uh, Milwaukee. But a lot of that was Al Horford, Grant Williams, I think even Robert Williams a little bit being thrown at Giannis to, you know, get in his way. Two of those guys are gone now. So now you're looking at Horford and I, I, I mean, I don't know who they'll throw on him. Maybe this new guy was it Kata who came from Sacramento, who I really love. You know, he's a big body, very athletic guy. Maybe he fills it in for that Grant Williams role. But, yeah, it's not that bad of a pick to say Milwaukee because you still have Giannis. When you have Giannis, you always have a shot no matter what. He, he's just one of those competitors, and that's what I love about him. Um, I mean, selfishly, I'd probably say Boston only because – I'm not a Dame guy, and I really think the Drew Holiday move was key for Boston. Like, if they didn't get Holiday, I'd, I'd have gone Milwaukee easily because the the questions would have been late in the game, Tatum and Brown, are we, still, are we to run into the same issues we've seen in the past few years where they, they don't make the best decision? Well, now you have Drew Holiday who can fix all of that. You know, Drew Holiday, if they're kind of going a little wayward, he can be like, give me the ball, go there, go there. Let's actually run something. And I think that's where he's going to be such a good addition. And for Porzingis, if he can repeat what he did in Washington last year, even better. You know, he played 65 games. I think he had like his career high in points per game. And from what I've seen in the preseason – his three-point shot is, like, automatic, which is crazy. And it's a really quick release as well, so I think that's going to play well. And he's shown some moves off the dribble. Uh, so I'll go Boston, then Milwaukee, but I think they're clearly the two best teams in the East. I'll say I, I do have a Celtics question for you about uh, Chris Dapps because that's my only question about the Celtics is Chris mm-hmm. Dapps Porzingis, which might sound weird because he was phenomenal in Washington. However, it, it almost feels like the role that they're going to ask him to play is like a floor spacing center, you know, that anchors the defense. And that almost feels identical to the same role that he got really unhappy with in Dallas. So I guess my question is, are you worried at all about him not getting enough touches and kind of getting upset and disgruntled? Like, 
Dallas when he, at the end he was phoning it in? Or do you think that they'll let him kind of explore more like in Washington where he was more happy? I think we'll see more of Washington. I think a lot of the frustration in Dallas was like he was clearly the number two guy in Dallas, but it seemed like him being number two was so far behind Luca as the number one option. that I think that's where the frustration came. Whereas in Boston, they run more of a ball movement type of offense. So I think he'll still get his touches. You know, he's probably not going to average 27 in the game. I think he's going to have to be fine with that. But can he be a 16-a-game guy? Yeah. You know, grab seven, eight rebounds, block a shot or two, you know, shoot like 40%, well, 38, 40% from three. I, I think I think he could fill that role. And and I think he'll he'll be fine with it. I think I think it is a good question to have because I think I think even people in Boston are wondering is it too many good players that they have? You know, Tanner and Brown, a lot of questions about them as who's the number one, number two guy. You know, we know it's Tatum and Brown. But you know, Holiday seemed like a really good complimentary piece. But for Zingas coming off the year he had, he might be thinking I'm kind of back to when the Knicks drafted me and everybody saw me as this, as the unicorn. Why can't I be that in Boston? So I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as Dallas, and I think it'll be closer to Washington. But I think it's a good question to have. Yeah, that, that's my only concern too with the Celtics is also, are you worried at all about if Chris Tapps does end up missing time, if he goes down and Horford, he started almost to look like he started showing his age at the end of last, mm-hmm. the last playoff run. Are you concerned at all about like the center rotation? Because I, I feel like that could be what sinks the Celtics. Like I think they have a really good team on paper, but if we have the Horford regression continues and we get another Porzingis injury, which he's normally good for, mm-hmm. are you, are you, uh, does that concern you at all? Or you don't think it'll be an issue? I was worried about it because the, I think the third big man was like Luke Cornett. And look, I love Luke Cornett. You know, him contesting three-pointers from the paint, it's goofy and it works at times. But, you know, he kind of lacks physicality. So if like, if they were going against Philadelphia and he had to cover Joel Embiid, I'd be like, ugh. If you're a fan of Cornette or your family, turn it off. It's going to get ugly. If you tell me he's got to sit out there and try to stop the freight train of Giannis going to the hoop, not a fan of that either. But the fact that that Kata guy kind of came on in the preseason, I feel a little bit better about it because Kata's a guy who's definitely more athletic than Cornette, is more of the you know, dirty type of player where he'll he'll push his nose in down low, go up for rebounds, he'll finish down low. Whereas Luke Cornett now is like the fourth big man, so you're only really going to see him in blowouts or whatever like that. So I feel a little bit better about the center position, but I do think it is a position of worry because if you were down Porzingis and Horford on a given night and you're back and your centers are Kata and – Cornet, that's rough. Now you're probably asking guys to play out of position 
I don't even know where they would turn. Like if you go small ball and throw, I don't know, like a Brissett or, or somebody else. Like I don't even know what they would do. So so maybe they have to find somebody off the free agent heap or, you know, call DeMarcus Cousins. You know, he's the fifth best. He's the top five center in the league, apparently, even though he's not in the league. Dude, I, I it's funny. You said that because I saw that and – I made an entire <laughs> list of centers that I think are better than DeMarcus Cousins, and I went through, like, every center, and I think I had, like, pretty much he's just he's just not even starting, and even back yeah. are better than him at this point. Like, he's like the – in like a, he's like a top, like, 40 center to me in the NBA right now, if he was even in it. Yeah. Look, I, I give him all the credit. Be, be your best cheerleader, but you got to be more realistic. If you were a top five center – you would be on somebody's roster. Right. But you're not, probably says something. Um, I mean, you also have Dwight Howard out there, although some weird things going on with Dwight Howard, which we're not going to talk about because whatever. But um, I don't know. I feel like probably the buyout market when some teams release a big man, I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics picked up somebody because they could still use a body there for sure. Also, watch out, ball Derek White about to be unleashed on the NBA. I'm here for it. Uh, let's see. So we got about half an hour left in the show, so we'll focus on the East. Um, so we talked about Boston and Milwaukee. I think the same question like the West. Who's the third team in the East? There's a lot of contenders for that. You know, if you're still buying into Miami, you're still buying into Philly. I feel like everybody's kind of niche pick is Cleveland. You got Indiana that's shown a lot of promise. So who do you think is the third best team in the East? I I, I think the right answer to that, and this, this one's tough. Part of me almost wanted to say Philly, but they're, they're not – I'm not taking them serious until they get figure out that James Harden situation. Yes. They, they need to move on from that, and then I will gladly say that because I do think the answer is Philly. It still feels like the answer is Philly, and I want to say Philly, but there's that, just that big dark cloud named James Harden that's just looming over them. So, like, I, I feel like, like I'm going to stick with Philly. I think that's the right answer because they still have a nice squad. Not many people can say they have a guy as good as – Tyrese Maxey, you still have the reigning MVP in Joel Embiid. Tobias Harris is a very good player if you use him properly. Mm -hmm. it, I'll still go with Philly, but they got to get that James Harden situation under control. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I'd, I'd probably lean Philly because of the Joel Embiid factor. Because I want to say Cleveland – but I feel like Embiid kind of has his – well, I mean, you know, Jared Allen has the height to deal with him, but it's just he's not a big guy. You know, Mobley, I need to see more from him offensively before I can really say they're the third best team. I'm not buying in on Miami. I think Indiana is like the cool pick, but I think it's a little bit early to really vault them up to three. So I'll, I'll probably agree with you and say Philadelphia is the third best team in the East. Yeah, I think Indiana has a lot of great pieces going for it. I think they're headed in the right direction, but I, I think it's too early to say anything besides play-in game for them. I, I don't see them cracking the top six either. I 
I could see them sneaking into the play-in. Mm-hmm. I do believe in them that much, but I I can't see them being anything higher than a play-in exit. That's interesting. Um, because I I I feel like for me it's like I remember last year when Halliburton was was healthy, they were like a five seed, which seemed about right. And then you know Halliburton got hurt, and the season just went completely in the toilet. But I'm like, if Halliburton's healthy now, you bring in Bruce Brown. Five seeds seems about right for them. So I don't know. I feel like they're probably a better team than the play-in. That is interesting to bring up, whether or not they're a play-in team. But I mean, here in a little bit, we'll kind of go through the East like we did at the West, and we'll see. But, yeah, Indiana's an interesting team. Yeah, they're relying on a lot of young talent. I, I think that this season could go so many different directions. Like, I could very well be wrong, and they are a top five seed, but I, I got I to gotta see it first. I got to see more from them. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're a team that would really need a hot start. Because, like you said, with them being so young, if they find themselves losing early, that might weigh on them too much, and they may not re- recover from it. But if they get out to a good start, they may start feeling themselves to the point that they start playing over their head and kind of stay up there. So, yeah, I, I can agree with that in, with Indiana. Uh, let me see. Is there another team that's really in that conversation? I, I mean, I brought it up. Miami, look, they spent their whole offseason basically telling us, don't worry about it. We're going to get Dame eventually. We know Portland's trying to play hardball, but – we're the only team that's going to really be a factor. So they let Struess go to Cleveland. They let Vincent go to LA. You know, they, they had Tyler hero kind of dancing in the wind and we're starting to hear from hero. Like, so what's going on with me? You know, I was like, Oh, Duncan Robinson is going to be enough to get the deal done too. But now they don't have Dame. They didn't get, uh, Drew Holiday either, even though you figured if you don't have Dame, why not go get Drew Holiday? So now it's Emo, Jimmy Butler, Bam, and Hero, I guess Martin. We'll have to give Martin some credit for the postseason he had. Like, is that enough? No. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm I just think the straight-up answer to that is no. Like, I think they're a uh... – I'll give Jimmy Butler enough credit. I think they'll be back in the play-in, but I, I I almost don't even want to say that, but I want to give Jimmy Butler and them his flowers. So I'll say they're a play-in team, mm-hmm. but they're just putting way too much on Jimmy in the playoffs. Like Tyler Hero, he's going to help too, but I think outside of those two, who are you going to look to create your own shot or get you know generate consistent offense for you? Bam's not going to be able to do it. He hasn't shown any semblance of being able to do it. And they just don't have another guy on the roster that can really do anything except kind of stand there and wait for somebody else to create for them. Yeah. But it's like all these NBA analysts are like, oh, don't sleep on the heat. When you count out the heat is when you get in trouble. And it's like, I kind of feel comfortable being out on the heat this year. Because just, look, I get it, heat culture. They have Spolster, they have Pat Riley, but eventually it comes down to talent on the court. So unless Caleb Martin takes this crazy leap and becomes, I don't know, like a Jordan Poole 
back the good Jordan Poole or one of these guys who's like lightning off the bench. Unless they're going to win games like in the 90s when it was like 89 to 87, I don't think they're going to score enough to win consistently in the NBA in 2023. That's just me. I don't know. Yeah, the, the offense just isn't isn't going to be enough. I think you still have a fine defensive team to build around. Mm-hmm. When you have Jimmy Bam, Kyle Lowry can still give you a little bit of something on that end, but he he's pretty washed. Yeah, when it comes to offense, that's it's not going to be fun to watch for Miami fans. If you're a big fan of NBA League Pass, yeah, don't tune into that game if you like offense. It's it's not going to be a fun watch this year. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, let's see. Is there any other team want to touch on? What uh, when do I, when do we start talking about the future ascent of the Orlando Magic? It's coming. I'm high on Orlando. It's coming. I, let's talk about it because I guess that's a question. Uh, the East, kind of like the West, is a lot of uncertainty after Boston and Milwaukee. I think we kind of have an understanding of the teams kind of in the middle. But some of these teams at the bottom have a lot of optimism going into this year. And I'm look, like you said, Orlando, Detroit. Like eventually Detroit with all the young talent they have, it has to work out for them somehow. Um, Charlotte has a lot of young talent, but I feel like Charlotte isn't seen as, an, as optimistic as uh, Detroit and uh, Orlando. For whatever reason, you know, they have their issues off the court. Plus, they're still relying on Gordon Hayward to make it through a season. And unfortunately, that's just something you can't bank on, even though I, I love Gordon Hayward, but let's be real. Uh, Washington's a team that, yes, they lost Bradley Beal, but I like the Tyus Jones edition. I, I think he's going to do well there. And look, Jordan Poole, get ready to see those those stat lines on ESPN ticker where it's like 35 points, probably like nine for 35 shooting. But he's going to score. He's going to find ways to score, and it's going to be entertaining, but not efficient. Don't don't look for Jordan Poole for efficiency. Even at Toronto, I don't even know what to make of Toronto at this point because – I felt like they were a team that probably needed to blow it up, but they didn't for whatever reason. Uh, so, yeah, so looking at that group, because like I said, you want to talk about the Orlando Ascension, but just like what do you make of that group in the East there? How, how do you separate them? Well, I think, I think you know, Hornets, I don't see them going very far. I think you're looking at a – like you said, you're, you're relying on a lot of young kids. You're not, you can't rely on Gordon Hayward to stay healthy. And half the time, it doesn't even look like Steve Clifford likes being there. It doesn't look like he's meshing well with the younger guys. So I don't see Charlotte doing anything. Detroit has interesting talent. I just don't see necessarily how it all fits yet. Yeah. Like, I think Cade's going to be a really good player. Like, I think you're looking at a future perennial all-star. But is can he fit next to Jaden Ivey, who he's a little bit of a wonky jump shot? 
you know, they're making Isaiah Stewart a stretch five and Bogdanovich. Is that enough defense down low in their front court to really propel you through a season? I think they have talent, but I just don't think it's the right mix yet. But I am I am higher on Detroit. I just think they got to figure it all out. And the Raptors, they just they just need balance. You you have literally your entire roster is between like six five, six ten, and Gary Trent. Like it's it's fascinating how they built that roster. And you paid Yaka Pertle all this money, but guess where he is in clutch time? He's glued at the end of the bench because he can't hit yeah. free throws. He's done a big enough offensive game changer that you're like, we need Yak about there. You can't be comfortable leaving your highest paid guy on the bench at the end of a game. Yeah. Like, situationally, sure, but with him, it was just consistently, any time in clutch time, I couldn't find Pirtle. And the, that's one of the biggest reasons why, out of all that group, I think the Raptors could sneak into a play-in because there is enough talent there between Barnes, Siakam. I think Pirtle is talented. It just has faults. I think it's talented enough that they could, you know, get to the play-in. But I think Orlando is the best out of that group because they're the only one that I can look at, put together a competent starting five, and go, that actually makes sense on paper. I do think their bench needs some work. But Gary Harris, he's a knockdown three-point shooter. He showed mm-hmm. last year. He was a good shooter. Franz Wagner, he's one of the more underrated glue guys. He's a very good role player who yeah. showed some semblance of shot creation. He could potentially almost get into that like Chris Middleton tier of players. Paulo Bancaro, very good. Wendell Carter, very good. I think that's just a starting five on paper that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And if you make a couple moves, you solidify that bench, which has young guys like Cole Anthony, who they just extended. Um, I think Anthony Black is the rookie they just drafted this year. You get a couple of those guys going off the bench. I think this is a, a very easily play, a play-in team, and I think that they're going to keep trending in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I feel like Orlando, it, it just has to work eventually. All those years when they used to have Terrence Ross, and I'd be like, why do they still have him when they weren't going anywhere? You know, they moved on from him finally, but now it's like they have a direction, like you said. Bancaro, we know what you're going to get from him night in and night out. Wendell Carter, you know what you're going to get. You know, they have Franz. They still have Mo Wagner as well. You know, Mo Wagner is, you know, probably the second of the Wagners, but the two of them work well with the talent that's there. I feel like it's going to be exciting in Orlando. I don't know how many wins that's going to translate to, but don't be surprised if you look at Sports Center and see them knocking off top teams because they do have the talent to do it. It's just can they kind of come together all at the same time and play a good disciplined brand of basketball? No, I agree. I think they're going to run into issues with top teams. I don't think they're ready for that yet. I think they'll be too undisciplined and just bad turnovers and decisions at the end of games to be good teams. But I definitely think they have good enough talent that any like immediate, like middle of the pack to bad teams, they're, they're going to beat them all. I think they'll pretty much beat any middle of the pack to bad teams. And I think they'll compete with the good teams. I just don't think that they're ready for that level of competition quite yet. Yeah, I, I guess I probably should clarify because what I was saying is like 
because we see those nights where those good teams feel like they could just mail it in. I think against Orlando, you can't do that because they yeah. will they'll do enough to knock you off, and you know it'll be looked at as a bad loss or whatever. But the talent is there in Orlando. That, that's why I mean I didn't th- say like you know they'd show up in Milwaukee and run them off the floor. No, but no. Milwaukee I- has like a tough shooting night. Orlando's the type of team that can take advantage of that and, and steal a win. Yeah, no, I got you. I know what you're saying. You're all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so we got 15 minutes left. Let's run through the East. Do the same we do with the West. Pretender, play-in, contender. We'll start in the Atlantic. Brooklyn, interesting team. We haven't talked about it yet. What do you see with Brooklyn? I think the answer to that is uh, pretender. I think they they just don't they don't have enough playmaking, and they they're going to have to rely a lot on Ben Simmons to produce that. But can you rely on Ben Simmons for an entire season? I that, that's okay. questionable. So I think um, the answer is pretender. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing about them is like. If you look at Brooklyn's roster, it's like they they have maybe a number one in Mikhail Bridges. After that, it's a lot of twos, probably threes. And in a league where we're seeing the best teams having established guys, Brooklyn's going to try to come at you with waves of players, whoever's hot, ride the hot hand, and see if they can cobble together enough points to win games. I agree. I'm going to say pretender. But it's interesting Brooklyn's approach to this. Post, KD, Kyrie, Harden, Simmons, post all of that. I think they're not in a terrible starting position, but they definitely need some upgrades on that roster. So I'll agree pretender. Raptors. We, we just talked about them, but. They have enough talent to get to the play-in, but uh, that that's about it. They're not going any further than that. Yeah, I agree. Playing playing is their ceiling. The days of them being a top team that that finds a way to get there with Nick Nurse and Kawhi and all that, those days are gone. They're 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 in a rebuild without really wanting to go through a rebuild. The Knicks, interesting team, playoff team. I think they're they're a team I'm looking at. If everything breaks right, they could be a team that makes a deep playoff run. I'm not going to say they're a title contender because I think it's premature. I, I'm not going to believe in any team with Julius Randle still as a main option as a title contender. I just think he dominates the ball too much and gets too little results out of it. But I do think that this is a team that it's a playoff team. If they get the right matchups and things break right, they could make it to the second round or maybe even – if a key injury or two, they can make it to the conference finals. I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm one of those who's like, I'll believe in them more when Randall's gone. Until then, I think their ceiling is like five, six seed. Depending on matchups, maybe they they get out of the first round. Uh, Celtics, I guess. We'll, we'll, I mean, we can agree. Contenders, like we can move on from there. Yeah. Uh, the Sixers, pretenders. I want—they're I, I, always a team every year. I want to say contenders, but this—it it all comes back to this James Harden situation. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It's just kind of awkward. And even if they trade Harden, is Maxi ready to be the lead guard on a championship team? I think he has a bright future, but that's not a role he's ever stepped in before. So that's uncharted waters for him. So I'm unsure if he's going to be ready for that role. So I'm going to go with pretenders. Yes, I I definitely agree. Uh, if Harden's on the team, they're definitely a pretender. If he gets traded or retires, which whatever. But if he's just gone, they're still a pretender, but the future looks brighter. So I agree. Uh, let's go to the Central. The Bulls. I, I, look, the Bulls, to me, clear pretender. I don't know what direction they're going in. They, they're they another team like the Raptors. I feel like should have probably blown it up, and for some reason they just don't want to. Yeah, that um, that team are easily pretenders, and they're going to be like the last. I want to say that they're probably going to be like the last play-in team. They have still have enough high-end talent to probably propel them against all the bad teams and mid-teams to get to that last play-in spot. And I, I'll even put the Raptors one step above them, though, because I I just don't believe in them at all. Like, who, who's your stopper? Like, I know Caruso's there, and I know Javon Carter's there, but you're, both your stoppers are, like, 6'3 or 6'4 and under, and that's mm-hmm. not a recipe for success in the NBA. Yeah, and look, Patrick Williams wants big money, but he hasn't done a thing to warrant the kind of money that reportedly he's looking for. I don't know who his agent is. Fire that man. Because <laughs> he's feeding him crazy lies right now. God, I, I don't know what's going on in the NBA. Everybody wants big money and, but doesn't want to produce for it. I, right. I don't get it. Uh, Cleveland, up next. Man, they're interesting because I do want to – I want to say contenders. I really do – but I just can. I don't think that Allen Mobley look just functions in the playoffs. We saw it last year. You can just kind of just crush the paint and force the long jumpers. But also, it's going to come down to Evan Mobley. I need to see some development on his offensive game. And I think a big thing that they'll have to do is I think if a team needs a center, ask for Jared Allen. Because I yeah. think you, if you want to maximize Evan Mobley to his fullest potential – He's going to have to be a center or surrounded by four shooters. If you do that, I think he does much better. But this Allen Mobley pairing in the playoffs just doesn't work. So I'm going to say pretenders. I'll say the same thing. I think their best bet would be make the playoffs and be on the opposite side of the bracket, hoping the Celtics and Bucks find their way to the same side. One of them takes out the other. Cleveland could kind of, you know, go through like the Knicks or something like that. If not, yeah, I, I don't think they really have a shot right now. The Pacers. Oh, man. Um, I want to say they're pretenders, but I think they'll be like the first play-in team. I, I think that they're uh, – they're a phenomenal team. There's a lot of young talent. I also think there's a lot of question marks. I believe in Tyrese Halliburton, Brown, heel turn. I believe in the talent enough to put them into that top play-in spot. 
but I'm just not sure how much further up I can put them. I realistically, I think you said it earlier, it's about accurate. They could probably hit about the fifth seed, but I'm going to say first playing spot for them. I'm as pretenders as well. I think they get the sixth seed, avoid the playing. Uh, Detroit. Pretenders, they're too young, and they need to figure out their center issues. I like Isaiah Stewart, but watching James Wiseman and Marvin Bagley battle for backup minutes is brutal. Yeah. I, I also hate the stretch big Isaiah, Isaiah Stewart playing. I don't I don't get it. Yeah, that, that's not his role either. So they, they have talent. They just got to figure out how to condense it and actually make it functional. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Pretender. Yeah, you know, maybe they sneak into the plane. Uh, Bucks, we agree, are contenders. Like, that's an obvious one. Giannis DPOY season incoming. I, I wouldn't doubt it. All right, now the Southeast. Interesting division. So, Washington. I think they're pretenders. I think uh, if you like watching somebody, though, that um, I think if you like watching shooters with the utmost confidence, tune in to see Jordan Poole. And I think yes. Daniel Gafford has a fun year collecting all those offensive rebounds and dominating the glass. Mm-hmm. But I think they're clear pretenders. I think they're a playing team. Really? I Look, I, I think they find a way maybe to get the last playing spot. I don't know. I I think they have enough to to sneak in. Uh, Orlando. Orlando playing team. I agree. I'm hoping for it. I I would love to see Orlando make the play. Oh, me too. I'm here for it. And plus, it it adds to the story of the re. Just Markel Fultz kind of re uh, discovering himself. It's a really nice story to watch. Yeah, I agree with that. The Hawks. I'm going to push the Pacers into the playoffs. I'm going to put the Hawks in the play, and I think and the Pacers... that's why that's why I had the Pacers as a six seed because I think the Hawks are, are a playing team. I best. I always forget about the Hawks, and they're easy to forget. Trust me. <laughs> I I think the issue again, it's you're going to be watching Trey Young stand around and just dominate the ball. I I don't like their offensive setup. I think they have a couple of really intriguing young rookies or younger guys. I think A.J. Griffin should be a fun one to watch. He's a sniper. I think Jalen Johnson, too. He's a very versatile player. I just don't think he's going to fit in Atlanta. Yep. I like DeJounte Murray, and I hate the fact that he can't be on the ball because you got to let Trey Young do his thing. So, yeah, like I said, I agree. Playing team, that's their ceiling. Charlotte. Pretenders. Yes. Nothing more really has to be said there. And Miami. Oh, gosh. Um, I, like I said, I'll give Jimmy and them enough love. Um, I'll give them – I think they're pretenders. I think they'll – I'm not sure what they'll do. That's the hard part. Are they a playoff team, a play-in team? I think play-in is more realistic, but mm-hmm. – if Jimmy and Tyler and them go through a hot enough stretch for long enough, maybe they can sneak, avoid the play-in, but they're definitely pretenders. I'm just not sure what to make of them this year. 
Yeah. The, the, yeah, pretenders. I mean, they probably win that division because the rest of the division just isn't good. But yeah, they definitely take a step back from the past couple of years. I'll say they're probably first playing team. Okay. So now we got about three minutes to go. So use the last few minutes here. Um, once again, appreciate you tuning in. Like, subscribe, share. If you missed any of it, make sure you check out the replay on Northeast Streaming Sports tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. So now looking at postseason awards, we talked about Rookie of the Year. You have uh, Wemby. I've got uh, Chet. Who do you think wins MVP? I said it before. I'll stick with it. You're going to like this answer. I think it's Jason Tatum's year. I think a mix of voter fatigue, and I think Tatum, is. this is the year he finds consistency. So I'm not going to say he's going to be completely consistent, but consistent enough that I think this is his year for MVP. I mean, Homer and me agrees. Uh, I've also said that I, I feel like the guy the league would love to give one to is Luka. I just don't think Dallas is going to be good enough for to warrant it. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with Tatum. I would say probably sneaky, dark horse, maybe a Donovan Mitchell. Um, What's another one? So we got two minutes. Who do you have in the finals? Right now in the finals, honestly, I'm, I just keep it simple early in the season. I, I, if I had to pick all the teams on paper right now, give me Bucks Nuggets. Okay. I think those are just the two clear best teams right now, but it'll be fun to see how the season plays out. For the historical measure, would love to see Celtics Lakers. Send LeBron crying in his 21st year, you know. Um, but I'll say I feel like Celtics Nuggets would be fun to watch. Seeing Tanner Brown with Gordon Porter Jr., you know, seeing Horford trying to deal with Jokic, I think that'd be the fun matchup. So I'll I'll, I'll go with them. Um, what's another award? Coach of the year. You have a prediction on that one? Coach of the year. Um, honestly, I'm gonna go with. Uh, no, off the top of my head, I tried to think, but I don't have one off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm going Joe Missoula. I think the Sam Cassell edition pays off. I love the fact that Rondo's hanging around the team. I think Missoula will be a better coach this year. No, no, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. I mean, that takes us right up to the two-hour mark. Like I said, that's kind of where we have to stop. So, look, Brett, I appreciate you coming on. You know, the guys aren't here and you want to talk NBA. Always love talking NBA with you. So, appreciate you stepping in. And this was fun. Hope we do it again. Anytime. All right. So that's it for the big three. We're here every week. Make sure you tune in. Enjoy the rest of your night and watch all the sports. We'll see you.